Welcome to the Leadership Launchpad Project, where purpose-driven leaders unite to change the game of life and business forever. Here are your hosts, Susan Hobson and Rob Kalvaroski. Welcome to the Leadership Launchpad Project. I'm Rob Kalvaroski. On this week's episode, Mike Kasdan, the adjunct professor at the NYU School of Law, partner at Wigan and Dana, and the founder of Loring Well Human, joins the show. We talked to Mike about the stressors of being a lawyer, mental health in a high achieving environment, and how leaders can support their people for better health health outcomes and business outcomes. We at Elite High Performance specialize in building high impact leaders that turn their teams into happy high performers who crush their goals. So if you're in the market for leadership development, one-on-one mindset and high performance coaching, conflict management, emotional intelligence, and more, head on over to EliteHighPerformance.com for more information there. Lastly, if you haven't yet, please hit subscribe to Leadership Launchpad Project on your favorite podcast platform and leave us a rating and review on Spotify or Apple. Thank you so much for doing it. Thank you so much for listening. And here's the interview with Mike Kasdan. We are back. Welcome to the Leadership Launchpad Project. I'm Rob Kalvaroski, and as always, the yang to my yin, Susan Hobson's here. Susan, how are you? I am excellent, fabulous, firing on all cylinders, and so excited for this interview. So let's go. Let's get this party started, shall we? Yeah, and we're rocking and rolling this Friday morning, so obviously we have to start off with, I have a stat today, Ooh. and... You'll understand shortly why. (laughs) But uh, according to a study from the legal talent provider Axiom, 78% of in-house lawyers feel stressed or burned out in their roles, and 57% are open to finding new jobs. Wow. And so obviously, Susan, you do some work with lawyers, and it's it's a, one is it's a taxing profession, and the other thing is it's rampant for burnout and long hours. So that's one thing, and who better to talk about it is our special guest, a lawyer in his own right, the IP partner at Wigan and Dana LLP, and professor at the NYU School of Law, and also the founder of Lawyering While Human, Mike Kasdan is with us. Mike, how are you? Doing pretty well. Thanks so much for having me on, Robin Susan. Thanks for joining us. And Mike, what do you think about that stat about 78% of lawyers are burnt out? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's objectively shocking, but it's not shocking to me because I see those stats and talk about those stats all the time. Um, and look, I mean, the statistics aren't good. Whether you look at the numbers like that, you know, the incidence of depression and anxiety and burnout and, uh, you know, attrition, people moving around, um, you know, and then, you know, folks, you know, coping, you know, with, with things like, you know, drinking and, you know, so that, that also has a high incidence. Um, but also, you know, I do a lot of looking at like memes also, I see those memes (laughs) that, you know, associates share about their lives and they're like, you know, they're funny, but also scary, but I think they get the same point across that you know it's a profession where people like wear their busyness and their stress is almost like a badge of like this is how we do things especially in big law and uh and you know your stat was in-house counsel um i would submit it's probably even 
worse <laughs> in in law <laughs> firms um if that's possible i know we're only working with 100 percent total here um so it could be a lot worse but um yeah I mean, this is an issue i feel really strongly about and i do think like we're we are actually moving in the right direction a little bit even though the stats are still really stark and we're really high on those lists that you don't want to be high on <laughs> it's absolutely something and obviously we'll talk more about mental health as we're going forward but mike before we get into all that tell us a little bit about you mm -hmm. uh yeah so um i do intellectual property law um i've been doing uh, patent uh, litigation and then all sort of branching into all sorts ty all types of litigation and licensing um more recently doing a lot of work with nft and blockchain and the metaverse and ai and uh so i'm kind of having fun i'm doing technology and brand work as a lawyer um and uh yeah i'm uh, i've been doing it for about 20 years i do a little bit of teaching i teach a licensing class at law school uh i'm a dad i have two kids they're both in college um and uh yeah that's a little bit about me i've, I've also done a bunch of writing on the side uh for a long time totally on the side disconnected to law uh for a company called the good men project mm -hmm. uh writing about sports and social justice kind of issues and and even mental health until I kind of connected those two things together uh, last year when I started this Lawyering While Human project. So tell us a little bit more about that aspect of your mission and a little bit more about how you got on that aspect of your mission, especially as it pertains to mental health. I can tell you know, as much as you are familiar with the stats, I can tell that that really bothers you, right? And yeah. and that's something that you really care about affecting change on. So where does that come from in your story, that point of inspiration? Yeah, I mean, I think it is something I'm really passionate about. I feel like it's going to be like my life's mission from kind of <laughs> here on out. It's going to definitely be a part of what I do. Um, and, you know, I come at it because of my own personal experience uh, with depression um, and, you know, as a lawyer and navigating that. And, you know, for me, uh, mental health wasn't something I really thought about much as a kid, um, didn't really understand or think depression was like a thing <laughs> um, until it happened to me when I was 35 years old. Um, and uh and that was that was that that laid me out pretty pretty hard, and it was uh, it was pretty shocking, especially because I had no experience dealing with it. I didn't really know what was happening, and it was pretty acute. Um, and yeah, I was I was a young partner at a at a prior law firm, and uh, you know, going through kind of some personal stuff with my marriage at the time, and running a big stressful case, and figuring it out on the fly, like how to be a partner uh, at a law firm and kind of all those things had the stress levels just really, really high. Um, and so, you know, and that was my first, and, and I would, you know, I got to, got to a point where I would go to work and just not be, re really not be functional, um, not, not be able to respond to things. And, uh, and my gut reaction was, I think the reaction that a lot of people have, which is like, oh, I'm just, I'm just stressed out. Like I just power through it. And, uh, you know, it's just just work stress and uh luckily i had really supportive family like my sister in particular was like no it's not just work stress and maybe you, and she actually physically like came to my office and like took me to therapy um for the first time and that was back in 2010 so you know like, like 12 13 years ago now um and so yeah i've had this sort of on again off again dealing with depressions like since that time 
Um, but a lot of times, the in-between times, I can go for years and be super high-functional and, and happy. And, you know, as a lot of people, you know, depression doesn't mean you're just in that state all the time. I think a lot of people don't quite get that. Um, so, yeah, for a long time, I did not talk about that in the in my in my day job or on LinkedIn. Um, I started writing about it kind of to process it like anonymously. Uh, that's actually how I first came to the Goodman Project. They they published a piece I wrote um, um, anonymously, um, like just like we found this on an anonymous blog and it was me. Um, and um, and from I slowly got a little more comfortable with it over time. Um, sort of writing about it on, on my own name, and I led some men's groups, um, you know, getting together and talking about mental health. Uh, you know, we did some PSAs, like we used the hashtag not weak, just human, uh, to try and get people out there sharing more of their stories and kind of connecting about it. Um, but it wasn't until last year that um, I got to the point where I was okay doing it, like in the legal field. Um, and, you know, and I think that was just a function of being older, like, caring less about what people thought, but also um, the world, you know, shifted a little bit, I think, in a good way, where at least like with the pandemic, like I saw that there were more conversations happening. And I found a community of people um, in the legal field that were doing this work. And that's why I started this, uh, the Lawyering Well Human project. So why is it so stigmatized still in the legal profession? I know, Rob, you sort of mentioned it in our opening there, like, I see a ton of lawyers come through my door hitting that brick wall or up against that glass ceiling, right? But it does. It takes that to even have my lawyers come to the table and look at these things. It's as if they have to be in a chokehold in order to admit, I need help, you know? Yeah. yeah. Why is that? Why is that the case? I mean, it's, it's multi-layered. I think there are a lot of layers at work. Um, and look, the, like the legal field isn't unique, but it is high on the list. But I think, you know, I think first there's like that masculinity layer um, mm -hmm. where we just have this longstanding, like, we're okay. Like, you know, if you break your knee or you need like, you know, physical therapy, but, you know, admitting anything about, you know, your mental health, um, you know, is seen as like weakness and people are afraid that you know, clients will trust them less or partners will trust them less or um, or they'll be viewed as less, you know, competent. Um, when I think, you know, the reality is that like we're all navigating stuff, whether it's the one in five that, you know, are going to be <laughs> clinically diagnosed at some point in their life or whether it's the 9.9 and .9 10 who, including themselves and their parents and siblings and friends are navigating some sort of mental health thing, or whether it's just all of us who are like riding that up and down kind of sometimes life's hard. Um, and I think that, you know, it, we, we would be all be served by being like way more <laughs> accepting of it. But I think in law, I think there are a couple things, a couple theories as to why that's the case. I mean, I think there are certain things about like the culture of law firms um, and sort of the adversarialness. Um, and I think it overlaps actually a lot with kind of this, like the very traditional masculinity um, aspects, even though I know, um, you know, lawyer, there, there are of course like lots of men and lots of women in the legal field, but I think the culture is very like, you know, macho and adversarial and be a perfectionist and be always on. And I think all of those things like, you know, you know, they can serve you in certain ways, but they don't serve you in, you know, destigmatizing this or making making it more open. Mm -hmm. um, so and then I think, you know, maybe I think also 
lawyer there, there are things about like you know the lawyer type i don't know how much of this is true or not but you know some people look at it and say you know lawyers are kind of looking at uh like well you know what if this happens what if that what if this bad things happen like we have to plan for that and they're kind of like um almost like pessimistic by nature uh and i think maybe some of that you know drives you know some of this too so yeah. Like, like, let's talk, let's tackle the first thing, right? And as you started speaking about your own mental health in law, how did that change your relationship at work with the folks you work with or your clients? Um, yeah, so it's, it's a great question. Um, and I have to say, even though I was pretty scared to do it um, and figured that there'd be you know, some group of people uh, that thought less of me for it or didn't work with me because of it. Um, a huge percentage of of the interactions and reactions has been really, really positive. Um, and I really think that's that took me a little bit by surprise. But in thinking about it, I think it's just like people like authenticity. Um, and I think people are more understanding than we think. And I think when I do, you know, over the years and in, in, in sort of the couple opportunities that I had to have conversations about, about it with people who are clients, um, it was always really positive. Um, and, you know, there's certainly still, um, you know, people and some of those people are in positions of power who kind of have an old school way of looking at it. Um, and are, and look at it and say, oh, like, you know, if we're talking about this, isn't, aren't there like liability issues? And what if, what if a client doesn't want to come to you? And, and, you know, I remember working really hard and don't you, isn't this just, you know, people wanting to be softer and lazier. And I'm like, no, it's not that, but you know, there, there is a certain, you know, bit of that. And I do remember, um, you know, I'm pretty close to my parents. Um, they're actually also both lawyers. Uh, and I think some of it is generational too, because I remember, telling them, I said, you know, I've made the decision, like, I'm going to just talk really openly about this. And I wrote this article that got published in American Lawyer and then in the New York Law Journal that a lot of people read that was really open about kind of all the stuff we're talking about today. Um, and, um, and my parents were like, well, you do understand that there will be a certain section of people who, you know, won't work with you because of that, and will not react positively to it. Um, and, you know, at my age now and my comfort level after this, like 10 or 12 years, and it did take that long. Um, so I think that does speak to the, the power of that stigma. Um, but my reaction was like, great. Um, like, if, <laughs> like if I can self-select a way, like the people who are like toxic and don't want to work with me because of this, then that's going to make my life better too. And there are plenty of people that do. So I think, the, you know, the reaction has been positive. It's definitely opened up like a lot of conversations. I've had a lot of conversations with people um, who I know and people who I don't know, young people who say, hey, like having someone who's a partner talking about this gives me license to talk about it. And I recognize it's really hard, it's much, much harder for young people to talk about it than it is for me to talk about it. Um, you know, cause you, you know, it's just, you're, <laughs> you're, you're trying to fit in, you're trying to do the work and like, what's gonna happen. And, you know, and, and you know, you're less self-aware, I think so. so um, but, but I, but I, I can say that, you know, not universally, but, but largely like the reaction has been really positive and it's changed my life in a really positive way. Um, you know, I, uh, before I started this lawyering while human, I, I, 
I did, I had a recurrence, you know, during the pandemic, you know, everyone went through a lot of trauma, um, you know, a bad situation. And, um, you know, that was one of the things that, that, that got me thinking about doing, you know, starting this exploring while human and really, really doing it. Um, and, and, and I think it's been really positive and, and, uh, I never really thought about how compartmentalized I was, how I was like, well, at work, I'm going to talk about patents and licensing. And then like over at the Goodman project, like I can talk about, you know, mental health stuff, but, but never like the two shall meet. And I really didn't <laughs> think it was a big deal. I was like, it's fine. Like, you just don't talk about that here. But I have to say like, much to my surprise, like I'm having way more fun, like being a lawyer now that I'm also doing that second thing. Mm -hmm. It's actually made me like be happier to be a lawyer again. And frankly, like a year and a half ago, I was in a place where I was like, well, maybe my brain is telling me I shouldn't do this anymore because it's just too stressful. And so I think I didn't even think about the value of, of not being compartmentalized. I, I thought like, eh, it's whatever. Like you just talk about different things in different places, but not having to think about it and just being out there talking about it, you know, doing IP law, doing blockchain stuff, doing metaverse stuff, but also, you know, going to law schools and talking about mental health and talking to young people and writing stuff, you know, in that space. Um, it's made me like so much happier uh, in a way that's really kind of shocked me. <laughs> I, I might actually argue that that's a very performance enhancing strategy, right? right? Yeah. I'm curious if you can speak on that, right? Because I think it's so interesting. The whole reason they don't want you talking about your struggles from a mental health perspective is because people won't trust you. When really what leads to trust is authenticity and vulnerability and feeling like you actually know the human in front of you. <laughs> yeah, no, I think that's such a great point. And, you know, it's, it's funny. I gave one of the first like non-law talks I ever gave um, was, it was about um, seven, eight years ago now. Um, but it happened totally randomly. One of, one of my friends who knew I was doing this good men project stuff, but he was one of my friends from legal circles. He was involved in the conference and they lost their keynote speaker at the very last minute. Um, and he was like, Mike, why don't you come in? But don't talk about that IP stuff. Like we have a whole conference where I'm going to talk about law stuff, but, but like talk about that good men project stuff. And, and I was like, okay. And, and I did it. And, and I actually, I, uh, and I, the title for that presentation I came up with was learning while human, which is where I, I got, I got the title for this project project. And it was really all about bringing your whole self to work and like being authentic. Um, and, and how that is like, it's so much better. Like I remember being worried when I was a younger lawyer, like I was writing sports stuff at the Goodman project. And I was, and I wouldn't talk about that at work because I was afraid that someone would be like, well, why are you doing that other thing when you could be billing hours here? Right. <laughs> and I think a lot of young lawyers think that, but yeah, it made that me a better storyteller. It made me a better writer. It made me a better speaker. And I use all those skills at work. So if you bring all that stuff to work and you're your authentic self, like, you know, that makes you a better lawyer. And I think it, it I think it's such a good point, Susan. Yeah, I love it. Let's get into this project of yours. You keep referring to lawyer while human. <laughs> Tell us about this initiative. Uh, yeah. So I started it um, just a little over a year ago. Um, I, uh, met a bunch of people at the Institute for Wellbeing in Law, which is a, which was then a, a new nonprofit. Um, so met a lot of, like, I found this really great little community. Um, and what I was seeing out in the field, um, was 
some of the really big, big, big mega law firms, like maybe the top 20, like gigantic law firms. And, you know, there's some gigantic law firms, um, you know, they had sort of the money and the wherewithal to hire like full-time directors of, of well-being, right? Like we saw this wave in diversity, like people hired diversity directors and now people are hiring, um, you know, well-being directors and started to think about this. And, and, I th- and I was like, that's really interesting because those big law places tend to be the places where people like work the hardest and the stressed <laughs> and people complain about the culture being kind of the most toxic, but they have the resources to like start doing these things. And I met a lot of those people and they're great people. And, you know, they're trying to be more focused. I think it's it's, I think it does require some culture change. It's not just like individual stuff. You know, there's also an institutional level. Um, but what I, what I realized was that below that level, um, there's like really not a lot in law firms. So like medium sized law firms or even pretty big law firms. And then people who are solo practitioners, like forget it. Like there's no infrastructure where, where we talk about mental health um, and there's no, and, and thinking through kind of policies and structures and how we do things. Um, there's just a sort of a big gap. And so I started lawyering while human basically like I thought about it on two levels. Like one, I thought um, like law firm, there's kind of a need for law firms to help people start their mental health and well-being programs and bring in speakers and talk about it. Um, and then the, the other piece was, um, was law schools. Um, so because I, I, I teach um, at NYU, I I'm kind of have one toe into like the law school world. Um, and, you know, law students, you know, it starts in law school or maybe before then, but, you know, law school is a pretty stressful place too, right? And and so I connected with a lot of really great law students, you know, through NYU and New York Law School and UConn and other places. Um, and, you know, and a lot of those schools are actually thinking about integrating some of this, uh, some of this sort of mental health uh, issues into professional development in like the four credit classes, which I think is great. Um, and there are also student organizations. There's a great one at UConn, like the NYU Law Review has a well-being chair, which is like amazing. Um, so, so I, I so I've also gone into law school law schools to sort of, sort of think about how to integrate this, whether it's on the the credit side or whether it's just coming in and like talking to people about this and being honest about it. Because I think the other thing I, I've seen is this generation that's like like the millennial Gen Z generation, like there's so much better and more advanced at the way they think about this issue than we were. Um, and I think about it, you know, I think about what I was like as an, as an associate and kind of now being a partner and seeing this new generation come up. And, you know, if you look at surveys, like they actually value their mental health, like in ways that we never really did. Um, and so I think, you know, and and those are, that's the talent, right? That's the next generation. Those are the people that are going to make up the field. Um, and I think that, you know, for people at our level, if we're leaders, um, when those people get into, into you know, the law firms, like we need to support them <laughs> and not like bang it out of them and kill them, <laughs> you know, right? So they leave after two years. That's not a good business system or, or, or moral system or anything. Um, so, so it's been, so the project has been basically a combination of doing this work like at law firms um, and, and also in-house, um, but also looking at law schools. I love it. Yeah, and you're totally right. Like, um, I work with an NCAA hockey team, and they're like literally on the call. One of their stu- well, one of their players or students, she was like, "Oh yeah, we talk about I'm going to therapy," 
And yeah. I was like, if I was 18, I never would have said a damn thing. hundred <laughs> percent. Yeah. It's amazing. Right. Yeah. Old school though. Right. Like this didn't exist as a resource back then. So. Yeah. yeah. And I think, yeah, that, but that normalization, I think is such a great thing. Um, Cause I mean, frankly, like, I don't know, man, like, like we all need help, like processing stuff, like forget about like clinical depression or anxiety, like stuff happens. And it's like so great to just have someone to process it with. But I had the same experience with my kids who were both in college, like, you know, and all their friends were like, got to get back for my, for my therapy appointment. And I was like, oh, okay. You know, <laughs> but I think that's a good thing. I mean, it's great. And it's, it's funny, right? Like we always, we, we coach a lot of mindset and the beliefs and the stuff that leads us to these perfectionism and high, high achieving careers and that type of thing is stuff that starts when we're kids. Absolutely. And then it's just reinforced as we achieve in school and sports and whatever else we do, music or art. And then it's like, now we're 30-year-old lawyers or we're 30-year-old doctors or we're 30-year-old finance people and we're working 100 hours a week. And then it's like, we're not too far off from hitting the burnout or the stress or, or like what you mentioned, right? Addiction issues or depression and like and what I talk about with the folks in heavy industry, which is also very macho, is like the rates of suicide in men in those industries are astronomically high. And just opening up that space for folks like I've had a lot of folks reach out and just be like, hey, thanks for talking about this, because they didn't have a space where this was even accessible. Yeah, that's such important work. And I know the, you know, the issue of talking about, you know, suicide is such a hard one. Um, I got trained as a mental health first aid, um, you know, person. Uh, it's a great course that a lot of states, uh, you know, give um, for free. Um, but, you know, that that conversation is such a hard one because I think I've seen, again, like you see the old school reaction to it. And it's not only the old school is like people believe that, you know, if we talk about that, it like, it makes it worse when when it's it's quite the opposite where you know where if you talk about suicide um you know it you know it 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 it, it puts that idea in someone's head which is like a, which is a, a wrong wrong way of thinking about it um but you know i've seen people you know in the legal field there have been a lot of high profile you know suicides of you know people who are partners in law firms and um and you know it's a huge problem you know just in in the world in general um but i think um you know i think opening up that space is so important and like you said so much of it is about mindset and framing i think one of the things that i've learned from like going through all this and being like down in the dark places and and you know and 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 frankly like from therapy is like there's so much like our mind is so powerful right like when you think about what happens to someone in a depressed or anxious state like it's all in your head right and it, but it's it's it can be paralyzing and i think you know the converse is true too like when you when you learn to be a little bit more self-aware and you can kind of reframe things like it's hugely powerful like i think it, it becomes like you could be much more successful and creative um you know when you're tapping into that same thing and so much of it is how you frame things so if we have people out there that are listening perhaps some lawyers in the bunch right <laughs> Hearing this call and realizing that maybe they have been ignoring their mental health because of some of that stigma and shame association, where would you recommend that they begin? Like, let's say they don't have these types of resources on site because 
they're working at one of these places that hasn't seen the value of it yet, where would you suggest they begin? Yeah. So I know, you know, a lot of firms do have, you know, programs, even if they're not widely popular in terms of talking about it. So there are EAP programs. I mean, I think that there are organizations like like NAMI um, that does terrific work and puts out resources. I think the the Institute for Wellbeing and Law is, is a great in terms of resources. Um, I think there are also, um, and I'm involved in the New York City bar chapter, but there are uh, lawyer assistance programs um, that you, know, you can come in, in every state in many cities. Um, that are, you know, volunteers like through bar associations or other organizations um, where totally confidential, you know, you come in and, and find community. But I think I think it's just important to find community and whether that's a resource like this, that's an organization um, or, or it's just finding like someone, <laughs> you know, for me, it was really important. I had, you know, I had a, a colleague at work that I trusted and, you know, and he, he and I had had some conversations about this. And so when I was going through that, like he was someone I trusted, you know, that I could talk to. Um, I also have to say that w- one of the best resources I found, um, there's a, there's a group called the Lawyers Depression Project. Uh, you can find them online. Um, they do, meetings like probably eight times a month on zoom um and you know i I find that to be so useful like even when i'm feeling good when i'm feeling down it's nice just to have like that little community um and uh and and i think that's that's a great resource so there there are you know lots of resources out there for sure and how about for our leaders so like let's say some of our listeners are the ones who have the power to make a difference in this space in terms of some of the culture that needs to change in the legal field what would you what would your advice be to those leaders yeah i mean i think um i think this is a a, a business issue and a leadership issue um and a culture issue and an institutional issue and i think that you know leaders have so much power in terms of modeling and creating culture. Um, and so I think, you know, one of the, and it's a very like buzzy term, but I really believe it, but like this, this human centric leadership um, where, you know, where you are more authentic, where you are more, more vulnerable. And it doesn't always have to be like sharing your darkest moment, but it can even just be like, I remember like if I were an associate and I like messed up in a brief, um, just like if the, par- like the partner, my, when I was, when I was young, didn't, wasn't like, ah, that happened to me. And we got through it. We're a team, you know, you know, <laughs> you know it, but, but I think that's really valuable, right? Like we've all like made mistakes. And I think when you're going back to like how you frame it, like when you're a young associate and you're on this big litigation and you like cite the wrong case and it goes out and you're like, Oh my God. Like, you know, it's like the end of the world when you're just, you're just not thinking about it the right way. When, you know, when the fix can be simple or nobody cares or in the end, like everyone's made a mistake like that. And I think as a leader, it helps, you know, to be that type of leader to say, you know what, like, let's fix that. And, you know, when, when I was, when I was an associate, this happened to me and here I am today, like, you know, and that's every single one of us. Right. Um, so I think just, I think striving to be that kind of leader, but I think also like recognizing the power that you have to kind of inform a culture and create a culture and cut through that stigma. I think it, it's such a leadership issue because I think a lot of people have this mental health conversation, you know, even at law firms um, where we really focus on the individual part right? We're like, here's a gym membership or like, here's, here's this app, right? You should do meditation or you should do yoga. And, and, and some of those things work for me. Like I, 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 I've, I've come 
to integrate some of those practices into my life, whether it's gratitude or authenticity and different things work for different people, journaling, right? Um, but I think if we just focus on like the individual stuff, um, we're never solving the problem because if you have a, a culture or a leadership structure um, that's like at odds with mental wellness, like you're never going to be able to do enough yoga or meditation <laughs> or journaling or whatever to, to get yourself out of it. So I think like recognizing as a leader that I'm kind of, that I can drive this institutional level is, is really important. I love that advice. And it's so true, right? And it's something that folks neuroscientifically actually works is as you get promoted and you gain power, your empathy actually decreases in the brain. And the opposite is also true is the folks who report to you, their empathy and emotional intelligence looking at you increases. So interesting. And so basically you're primed to really follow the leader. And that's what you're saying is like authenticity and vulnerability from the leader, which is literally what you said is like, it doesn't have to be, hey, hey you know, I'm all crying at my house, you know? Right, it's, exactly. <laughs> it's like, hey, you know, like, I screwed up this one time too. And and that makes a huge difference. And it's also what we always talk about is like leaders are coaches. And so as those folks come in the door about perfectionism and they make a mistake and it's like catastrophic to them, it's like how do we help them see that they're still a whole person that has value? Yeah, exactly. Like so much of it I think is really – just fundamentally like treating people as human beings um, and tapping into your humanity. And, you know, we're humans. Like, it seems like it should be easy, but it takes a lot of like intentionality to actually do that. Like in this, this crazy, fast capitalism world, you know, it's just, I think we lose sight of that. Um, and and I think we, we need to sort of tap back into that. And I think, whether you get there, you know, one of the reasons that I spent so much time this past year, I wrote an article, um, like a, like a, like a law review style article on the business case for this. Like if, like, if you didn't go through what I went through and you're not getting there for a moral reason, like, yeah. I actually believe like you will, you will do better as a business this way because there are costs, like it costs when, when, when you hire someone from a great school and you train them and you spend all that money doing that. And then they burn out and leave after two years and then you pay to replace them. And then people are missing time or not doing optimal work because, you know, mm -hmm. they're not as good as they could be mentally. Like we're selling our brains, like fundamentally, like that's why people work with us. And so it should be simple. It seems to make sense that we should then therefore like spend a lot of time and consideration, like thinking about how to optimize our brains. Um, but it takes a lot of focus to get back there. And I think sometimes people, People need to see, you know, people who maybe haven't gone through this or maybe are a little more old school, um, I think need to see like, okay, like I, if, I, if I can get there, okay, like I can make more money this way. <laughs> Great. So for me, it's like, however we can get people there, um, you know, that, that that's what I want to do. <laughs> I, I mean, I totally, I, like we do the business case on our side too. And it's like, Pre, uh, mental health is the highest cause of presenteeism and absenteeism. Exactly. So right there, that pays for whatever program or coaching or whatever you're going to get. So exactly. we'll just leave no it brainer. there. Yeah. <laughs> and feel free, yeah. Well, Mike, send me the link to that. And we'll drop it in the podcast notes so we'll folks do. can read it. 
Now, Mike, obviously we we got some big questions we'd like to to ask you before you get out of here. And it's if there's anything you could say to the community of leaders or the community of lawyers out there that are listening, what would you say to them? Yeah, I thought you were going to ask me a really hard question, like about the Super Bowl or something. Um, but <laughs> so, uh, but I mean, I, th- I think what I would say to to leaders is like just just to to get involved and 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 you know and and basically just you have the power to drive this and it it basically aligns with like every aspect of of what we do um you know as lawyers or as business people right whether it's like recruiting and retaining and promoting and serving clients and you know making money and and having a good culture you know i saw this statistic um it's a really cool set of statistics um that actually had charts and graphs for like who we spend the most time with at different points in our life and it's kind of interesting like you know as a child like you know you spend a lot of time with your kids and then go to college and that's less time but but what was really eye-opening is like we spend so much time with the people we work with like at all ages like it doesn't even change like it's just this line at a pretty high spot and so we spend so much time at work and and you know this whole issue of like work-life balance like i'm not a big fan of that phrase because i mean like it's all just one thing right like it's just life and and works a part of life yeah exactly (laughs) and 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 so i think you know it's just i think the message to leaders is like it's it's so worth focusing on this issue and and you know however you get there um i think you know the reward in creating you know a better culture a better place to work and be doing better work and i think you know being more fulfilled being there um so i know i I just want to get more people focused on this issue And what would you say that you want your legacy to be the legacy of all this amazing advocacy work that you're doing (laughs) for mental health in the legal space? What do you envision the legacy being? I mean, I don't know. I'm just, I got, I'm not sure I'm going to have a legacy, but I think like the, the the goal is, um, I I think that you you always want to have impact. Right. And so you know, you do want there to be positive change. Um, so we look at, the, you know, we started off this conversation looking like, look, look at those, those terrible statistics, right? And so you do want to see positive change, you know, in that direction. Um, but I, I think also just, I think creating more leaders, um, I think is the way that we get there. So I think, you know, if I can connect to, you know, people who are going to, you know, take up this mantle. And I mean, that's the way we're going to get there. And there's so many people that I've met just in the past year that may make, make, make me so, you know, optimistic uh, that that's going to happen. And I think then the second thing is, you know, we talked a lot, we also talked about stigma and destigmatizing. Um, and I think, you know, sometime in my lifetime, if we can get past that issue, past sort of talking about the problem and onto like actually, creating solutions um because stigma is just like that's just kind of the first step stigma is like oh we're not even going to talk about it right it's like (laughs) fight club right like the first rule um like and and so i think uh i think getting to the point where we're actually like making having sort of impactful progress on the solution side i think would be a real goal i love it and obviously for folks listening pulling back the curtain mike said it we're recording on the friday before the super bowl so we got to ask you mike who's your super bowl pick and more importantly what color of gatorade are they going to dump on the winning coach (laughs) that's a good one um so yeah so i think 
I'm a, I'm a Giants fan, so it's very hard to root for the Eagles. I do think the Eagles are the better team. Um, so if I were a betting man, which I'm not, I would probably bet on the Eagles, but I'll be rooting for the Kansas City Chiefs. And and I'll align that with the red Gatorade. <laughs> Amazing. Mike, it's, it was incredible to talk to you. And obviously for folks out there, we've dropped Mike's LinkedIn in the podcast notes. If you're looking for a law firm, Wigan and Dana, you can go to wigan.com. You can also find Mike if you're going to law school at NYU. And lastly, if you want to check out Loring While Human, it's loringwhilehuman.com so you can find him there. Mike, is there anywhere else you'd like folks to find you? Yeah. Uh, so the Loring While Human website is permanently under construction, although I'm getting there, but I'm, I'm really active uh, on social media with Loring While Human. So, uh, so if you're on Twitter, I'm at uh, 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 law underscore while underscore human on Twitter and uh and on Instagram, uh, it's uh, zen.mayhem. Ooh. Yeah. We'll drop those in the podcast notes as well, folks. You can connect with Mike there. Obviously, for us, please hit subscribe to the Leadership Launchpad Project on your favorite podcast platform and share this episode with any leaders in your life or folks who struggle with mental health, which is everybody at some point, or also any lawyers that you'd love to poke this into their brain. Um, and then for us, any leadership development, mindset, work, keynote speaking, and more, head on over to EliteHighPerformance.com there. Susan, is there anything you want to leave folks with today? I'm just so inspired by your advocacy. I love a human who takes that pain and turns it into purpose. That's what we're all about here at Team Elite. So yeah, thank you for helping us make the moral and the business case for how mental health is actually a performance driving strategy. I love it. This is really going to serve our audience. Thank you, Mike. Love it. Thank you so much, Rob. Thanks, Susan, for having me on. It was great speaking with you. Thank you so much. And for me, where I'd like folks to land is it's exactly where Mike started, right? Is And I know because we were introduced, uh, Eric Cousin introduced us. And Eric's very huge on everyone has mental health, yeah. right? And we're always on a spectrum of, you know, lows to highs or back down or in the middle, right? And so this is a conversation that we need to start having in workplaces and in industries like law or finance or do even doctors. Ooh, don't say that. <laughs> um, <laughs> for you too. Right? And, and industries like manufacturing, mining, all these ones that we've come out with, right? Because everyone has mental health and everyone can struggle at certain points. And it's it comes back to exactly where we're going is treat everyone like a human and see them as who they are and we can make the world a better place. Mm -hmm. Mike, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks, guys. Everyone, thanks so, so much for listening, and we'll see you all next week. Bye, everyone.